Support for Talking Art on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at qcbt.com. Support also comes from the estate of Margaret Skinner, a longtime friend of WVIK and lover of the arts. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Lynn Ariel, a jazz pianist, composer, and arranger who will be performing at the Redstone Room at the River Music Experience as part of Polyrhythm's Third Sunday Jazz Series this Sunday, May 20th. She's an extraordinary pianist who has been called the Poet Laureate of her generation by the Jazz Police, and the London Times similarly stated that she belongs among the poets. Truly distinctive, her improvisations weave a seductive combination of lyricism and muscle. Her albums as leader have charted on Billboard and on Best of Lists, including The New Yorker and United Press International. So welcome, Lynn. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for for talking today. And congratulations to you on the recent release of your latest CD, Give Us These Days. I have to admit that I've had your CD now for only 24 hours, but I have listened to it already in its entirety three times. (laughs) There are six original tunes on it written by yourself and then three arrangements. And you've been composing for quite some time now. Oh, many years, going back 25 years. And I've written a lot of tunes and, and I've done a lot of arrangements of, um, of standards. And um, I always look for beautiful melodies. I kind of sing often uh, before I even write anything down so that hopefully the melodies will have a lyrical quality. Mm-hmm. On the CD, which is published through the Challenge uh, record label, the bassist and co-producer is Jasper Somsen and the drummer is Jasper Van Holten and they're both from the Netherlands. And then you have a vocalist on on the last song. Yes, Kate McGarry. She's absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I've I always wanted to record the song by Tom Waits, uh, "Take It With Me." I remember hearing it uh, one day when I was driving in my car. I had never heard Tom Waits, and the power of the song was was so intense that I just sat there and one of the most beautiful songs ever written. Mm-hmm. And I've I've wanted to record it for a long time, and Kate just did a beautiful job. And um, it was it was really a pleasure working with um, both Jaspers, Jasper Sumson especially, because he was my co-producer. And there's so many um, details uh, and logistical issues involved in creating a CD. And he was really a wonderful partner. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds great. Now, at the RME performance, which is coming up, you'll be playing with two different um, performers on bass, Matt Ullery, and on drums, John uh, Dietmeyer. Yes, they're both out of Chicago. I've played with John before several times, and he's great. And he recommended Matt. So this will be the first time I'll be playing with Matt. Uh, we have several engagements. We're playing in Chicago and in, in Indianapolis and, of course, in, in, um, in Moline. Yeah, well, we can't wait to hear you. So, Lynn, you've actually played at the River Music Experience before. Yes, uh, I've played at uh, the River Music Experience for Polyrhythms uh, several times, and it's always a joy uh, the audiences are wonderful, and I'm always so happy to work with Nate Lawrence. He's done so much for the community and so much for jazz and jazz musicians. Uh, he's a beautiful spirit, a beautiful person, and it's really a privilege to know him and be part of the work that he's doing. Mm-hmm. I agree. Nate Lawrence is the director of Polyrhythms, and he has been just instrumental in our community in terms of bringing 
high-quality jazz every month to our community on the third Sunday of each month. Great thanks to him. The title track on your CD, Give Us This Days, is this is this really intensely personal, kind of soul-searching piece that evokes this sense of yearning and, and poignancy. Over the years, we've all seen so much with, you know, what our friends go through, what we go through, and and life can take unexpected twists and turns, and there are no guarantees. Anything can happen at any moment. And, uh, you know, every day matters. Every day is precious. I think as I grow older, I become more attuned to that, and I wanted to create an album that was devoted to that idea mm-hmm. that life is precious, and it, it is fleeting. Uh, time goes by very, very quickly, and um, you know I think we need to treasure uh, the people we know and the people we love, uh, and treasure every moment of our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the poem that inspired your title track. I have a high school friend named Jim Schley, who um, became a great poet, and I was reading some of his poetry. We stayed in touch over the past uh, few years. And this, this is a poem called Devotional, and he talks about um, living in the same house where his daughter was conceived and born, and how one day he was folding her, 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 her linens, her nightgown, and, and he remembered the, 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 just the beautiful, fresh smell of, of the, the freshly um, washed linens, and he just said, uh, if I can just ask, give us these days, just all these precious moments. Mm-hmm. And I called him and I said, Jim, can I, can I use this as a, as a title of my CD? And he said, sure. He said, it's kind of from the Bible and you know that, <laughs> like give us these days our daily bread. And I said, okay, I'll check, I'll check on that. See if it's okay. <laughs> Did you, you have to get permission? <laughs> <laughs> That's really lovely. You know, it reminds me of the Mary Oliver poem that, that ends. Tell me what, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? And, um, I just think think that it's that's beautiful and and there is this connection between writing a poem and composing a great jazz song. Um, I mean, the point of each is to convey a profound emotion. Yes, yes. When I created, when I wrote, "Give Us These Days," I was feeling that feeling of, of um, respect and awe and reverence for life. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the piece, it's not all pretty major chords. There are some very kind of almost jarring chords at times because, frankly, <laughs> life is that way sometimes. Mm-hmm. And yet we breathe and we move on. And I actually structured the piece in a way that I hope would convey that. Whether someone knew exactly what I was doing on a craft level, um, there are some big pauses after these chords. And I am breathing and I'm just letting, waiting till the symbols, you know, kind of fade before I go on. Because that's how life feels to me. Mm-hmm. Well, you conveyed that very well. I felt um, tearful several times listening to it, and not not tears of sadness, but tears of just like uh, just just respecting the immensity of life and and how complex it is, and 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 the good and the bad, the joys and the sorrows are all interwoven. And and uh, so you did just a fabulous job with that. And also on the CD, the, just the arrangement of the compositions themselves, they carry you back and forth from one piece to the next, from these kind of joyful, energetic pieces like uh, Appassionata. 
and slightly off center. Um, and then they alternate with more slower paced reflective pieces with these uh, very rich chords and melodies. And that's just so enjoyable as a listener. I wanted to have a lot of a really wide palette of colors in, in, in the CD. Apassionata is influenced by flamenco dancers who are kind of stomping and there's, there's a joyous abandonment. Uh, and I tried to create that in the band as well. Uh, with, with how the drummer played and so forth. Um, there is a tune, Let It Be, by the Beatles, and the message, you know, uh, that was written uh, when Paul McCartney had a dream about his mother coming to him and just saying, you know, it's going to be okay, just let it be. <laughs> and it's hard sometimes when you're in, in, in turmoil to, to, to accept that, but I thought that was really an appropriate, um, an appropriate song. And Slightly Off Center, that's... That's how life feels to me, <laughs> at least the, the way I am. I mean, everything's just slightly off. So, you know, when people say, oh, they're, they're in the flow all the time, and I think, well, I've got to find out what they're doing because it feels like life is a series of adjustments and, um, you know, being resilient and going with what's going on, but also just, you know, that you don't expect and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then over and out, I didn't know what to call that. And after we uh, recorded it, and I intentionally wanted it to be really kind of wild and free and very rhythmic, um, the, Jasper suggested that, like, over and out. <laughs> That's appropriate. Your piano playing on that piece is this, has just this high kinetic energy. And there's a great drum solo on that as well. It was fabulous. I, now, I read you, you grew up actually in the Midwest. I know you're, you're, you're teaching and living in Florida now. We'll talk about that in a second. But you grew up in Milwaukee mm-hmm. and started playing the piano yeah. at this incredibly young age of three. Mm-hmm. Before morning kindergarten, I would play songs that I'd heard off the radio, uh, just play, playing by ear. Like I remember actually Moon River. And I remember saying to my mother, probably not at three, but you know, a little older than that, you know, I could play the melody, but I need more chords. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what chords to play. I wouldn't even know as a parent how to respond with to a child who is in pre-kindergarten saying, "I I can't play the chords." <laughs> <laughs> well, you could say practice more. <laughs> but uh, I asked them to um, if I could study uh, with the local piano teacher, and she first said no that I was too young. Now nowadays, if it if there was a student at age three or four that wanted to play, they would be telling them they're probably too old. But, right? um, they, you know, everybody's younger now, it seems. And then at some point she accepted me as a student and she would play the songs for me for the next week's assignment. And I would play my closest recollection of what they were at the next lesson. And then she figured out that I wasn't learning how to read music. I was just playing by ear. And so she said, I'm not going to play for you anymore. You have to learn to read, which was a struggle because I tended to be more, you know, oriented towards just hearing something and playing it. That's how I began. Well, and that's such a gift. And most people don't possess that to be able to listen and play. And I can't imagine discouraging that. But um, but nevertheless, um, and, you know, learning to read music certainly helped you. You were trained initially as a classical pianist. Yes, I had many years. I, I didn't. St- I didn't start playing and studying jazz till I was around twenty-four or twenty-five, and that's after getting a master's in classical music uh, at the Wisconsin Conservatory of Music. And I was very fortunate to study with Rebecca Pennies, who happened to be there at the time. But right after I graduated, 
uh, she went on to be on the faculty of the Eastman School of Music, which is one of the most prestigious music schools in the world. And um, but I was very fortunate to have studied with her for seven or eight years. And she was a ballet dancer in her in her youth. And she brought principles of movement to the piano in terms of how to play with a strong sound. She weighed like 110 pounds, and yet she played with this incredibly you know, strong, powerful um, sound. And then I, at, at one point, I was walking down the street. It was right around when I was going to do my master's degree recitals, and I had a passing thought, and it was, you should study jazz. And it wasn't, I should study jazz, it was, you should study jazz. So I don't know what part of my mind was talking to me. But uh, I didn't even know that jazz is improvised music. I did not know that we take a melody, a tune like Summertime by George Gershwin, for example. We play the melody, and after that, we make up new melodies and create an entirely new piece over the same chords. Um, and when I found out that, that, that that's what jazz was, I thought, oh, my God, I have, to, I have to learn how to do this. Kind of dropped everything and just started practicing eight or nine hours a day and trying to do everything my, my teacher was telling me to do and, and to learn this great uh, tradition. Hmm. Well, I'm so glad you did. I just think it's amazing that you went all the way through your master's degree in classical music and then and then switched. But I'm, you know, again, we're so thankful that, that you did that. Um, you know, and jazz has been described, and it was described this way on the inside um, portion of your CD that uh, Lawrence Abrams wrote this these beautiful liner notes, and he described jazz as the most democratic of music, um, you know, that each musician has these obligations to support each other, but then you have this freedom to express yourself. That's really why I think I love jazz. I love the improvisational nature of it and how everybody kind of does their own thing, and then they come back together and meld together so seamlessly, it seems, at least to the listener. Yes, it's, it's fascinating in a certain way because uh, you have the entire group sound, but within the sound, there are many layers, and, and it's kind of like a, um, a, a patchwork quilt, or, or if you look at uh, someone who's woven a fabric and you see the different um, threads going, you know, different colors going in different directions and so forth, and there's really a lot going on, and you can listen to it in, in many ways, from a distance and up close, if you say, you listen, you just focus on the pianist, or you focus on the bass player, or you focus on the drummer, and then listen to the whole piece, and then all of a sudden, takes on a new dimension wow there you know there's a lot going on here mm-hmm. yeah it's just it's so rich and and um you know after you after you made this this momentous leap to jazz your career really took off after you you won the first prize in 1993 at the international great american jazz piano competition that was very exciting it was quite an experience and around that time i also was very fortunate to uh, tour japan with Hank Jones, Tommy Flanagan, Cedar Walton, Monty Alexander, Ray Bryant, uh, Junior Mance, uh, Roger Kellaway, and uh, in, in a group called 100 Golden Fingers. I was substituting for Marion McPartland, actually, who wasn't able to make it. And uh, we toured Japan. That was my first major tour. And I remember the um, gentleman saying, by the way, all tours are not like this. <laughs> because, uh, you know, it was all five-star hotels, and <laughs> you'd leave your bags outside the door, and someone would take them. So, yes, all tours are not like this. <laughs> but it was really incredible to hear these great pianists every night play on different instruments and hear how they approach the same songs in a very different way the next night and, and the subsequent nights as well. Plus, just you know, being around their wonderful energy. Everybody was so encouraging and um, 
kind and, and really, it, it was a, a really uh, beautiful experience for me. And then when I got back, I was kind of starting my own group and we started uh, recording. I think that was the first first recording I made was in around 1993. And um, then over the years, I've recorded uh, 13 CDs. This new one is my fourth, 14th and been playing in Europe and this country and a lot of festivals. And um, it's been busy time. Yeah, what a what a career. And beyond all of that, you've also been involved in jazz education, and, and you are currently a professor of jazz studies and director of small ensembles at the University of North Florida. So what's, what is it like to work in education and nurture, nurture this next generation of musicians? It's very exciting. There's so much great talent, and I learn so much in the process just from teaching and from my students. Uh, every student is different, and I have to find the right way to explain something so that the light will go off or will turn on for them. And uh, that makes me dig deep to, to, to try to find different ways to explain things or to demonstrate or say to them, okay, why don't you try doing this? Let's see what the result is. Why don't you try doing that? Um, let's do it this for 10 minutes, and I want to see if it has an impact on your ease at the piano or you know whatever it is we're working on. And uh, it's a great environment. The faculty is, is outstanding. Danny Gottlieb is you know world-famous drummer, and he's on the faculty, and um, Barry Green, great, great guitarist, and... Um, and Dennis Marks, the bassist who plays with Arturo Sandoval, and many other great, great musicians. Uh, it's, it's a phenomenal school. It's a beautiful, beautiful campus, and I, I feel very lucky to be there. Oh. Well, I'm sure they're, they feel the same about having you, you there. Um, being around the young, um, the students, and being involved in their education, how, how do you feel about the future of jazz? And is it moving in a particular direction at this time, or is, it, um, is, that, hard to, is that hard to comment on? What I'm hearing is so inspiring. Uh, over the years, I've heard compositions from my students that blew me away, that I thought, oh, how do they write this? This is so beautiful. I want to I play this, or I want to write something like this, uh, that, that were so harmonically interesting and also had such great heart. And by that, I mean it didn't sound like just like someone who was just dialing it in. It didn't sound like unrelated sentences in a paragraph felt like there was a story evolving through the song, and I always emphasize that with my students. And I've heard some really, really beautiful compositions that are, are they just stay with me. They're so moving. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and some outstanding performers. Many of them have gone on and are living in New York and went to Manhattan School of Music and to the New School and to William Patterson and, uh, and got their master's degrees and now are living in New York, making a living playing jazz and doing what they love and finding their own unique voices in the music, as well as dealing with just the very challenging aspect of uh, promoting your own career, which the younger generation, I think, really is, is beginning to understand that um, they shouldn't be waiting around for a manager, an agent, or a record label to do it for them. They have to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. It's like, a, it's like a second and third job. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I'm sure they appreciate your, your you mentoring them and and then uh, kind of sending them off to to start their their new life. And we all do have such different different paths. Um, when you were describing um, listening to some of your students' compositions, um, I, you know, I was just wondering uh, how, how do you cause, because you've composed so much. Do you just hear a certain melody? Does it just pop into your brain, or do you start by like 
feeling a particular emotion and kind of working from there? How does how does that creative process work? I think sometimes I just start singing or I might even start just just playing little ideas. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, like this is a great opening idea and I have to quickly write it down because otherwise I won't remember it. And if if I have a tape recorder running, I tend not to find the ideas because I know somebody's listening. <laughs> so I, I, I just have to have pencil at hand and scribble something down. And I always tell my students that getting that first idea is really, that's tricky. It's, it's not just anything. It, it, you know, when we think of songs that we really like that are very memorable, they all have a beautiful idea that they start with. And that's why people remember the songs. It's not an accident. Uh, what that you know that certain songs will just stay in our consciousness and others we won't even remember. So when I'm listening to my own work or evaluating students' work, uh, I first look at: Am I engaged from the first couple notes? If I'm not, maybe they need to try writing ten or fifteen or twenty other opening phrases, and just write. And um, I've had students say to me, um, "I can't, you know, I can't write anything. I, I feel like everything I'm writing is bad." And so I tell them, okay, so I want you to write 20 really bad opening phrases. <laughs> and that, that's, yeah, I'm plagiarizing here because that, that was from a movie under the, the Tuscan sun, I think of Diane Lane, where one of her students said to her, you know, I, I'm, I'm writing, the novel I'm writing is terrible. She said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to write a really terrible novel or start out with that. And what that does is it takes off all the pressure of, of self-judgment and, uh, and, and micromanaging your own creative process and just saying, well, just write something. <laughs> and, uh, and, and if, if you get a good idea out of 30 tries, that's amazing. And once you have a, a, a nice opening idea or several that you might work with, it's what needs to come next. And, um, the way I look at it, what I've heard with students is there, there seem to be in the extremes, two kinds of tunes. One is where every phrase is basically the same rhythm, like da-da-da-da, 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 with different notes. The other is where all the rhythms are different, so there's not enough repetition. For example, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
it might be contrasting, it might be varied. But I'm not trying to say, oh, this is it, because it's very subjective. So on my manuscript paper when I'm writing, I have at least four lines so that I could start up with one idea and write three or four different possible second ideas. And then I can come back to it the next day and say, oh, that one's it, or I don't like any of these, let me try again. Mm-hmm. And right there. And having that space, that time, um, is probably really necessary to 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 pull off what what is the best rendition. Um, yes. And you certainly seem to, you know, you talked about this cohesion. You seem to have mastered that with with this CD and the collection of songs on them. They are, they are just so beautiful. Well, Lynn Ariel, congratulations on the release of your gorgeous new CD. Give us these days. Yep. And thank you so much for talking today. My pleasure. Thank you. I would strongly encourage listeners to treat yourself to a rare performance this Sunday, May 20th. Lynn Ariel will be performing with her trio at 6 p.m. at the Redstone Room at the River Music Experience. Admission is just $10 or $15 for reserved seats, and tickets can be obtained by calling Polyrhythms at 309-373-0790 or at the RME website, which is rivermusicexperience.org. There's also an all-ages workshop prior to the performance at 3 p.m., which is free for youth participants and only $5 for adults. And I hope to see you there. This has been Carolyn Martin, talking art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. WVIK.